0: hi today uh we're gonna try something a little different i don't have a guest it's just me and i and i wanted to talk about a couple things um, that i know very little about mostly to air out my own depression um, but also to talk about some misconceptions that I think I had going into adopting a dog and where I'm at now, because I'm, 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 I just passed, I think, eight months with Otis. I got him of April, April of last year. And, uh, and I've learned a lot. And I, I really wanted to make sure that, uh, amidst this very sporadic, uh, slew of guests, that uh, that there was time for me to tell you what I know and and really delve into like should you get a dog? This is the realities of it. So here we go. Tidy Tidy. Start somewhere around last year and sort of tell you how I came, how I came to be sitting with Otis in my bed on a very snowy Wednesday, uh, contemplating his existence in my own. Um, I had a very difficult year last year, um, for a lot of reasons, but I was living with, uh, Deanna, who was the uh, first guest on this show. And, uh, I, I am clinically depressed, clinically anxious, and, uh, was recently diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Some of you may know that as ADHD and, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe December of last year, probably about a year ago, I, uh, I did not believe that any of those things were true. I don't think in my heart. I was just like futzing around in the middle of, um, in the middle of quarantine, feeling kind of like garbage, not knowing what to do. And I met Gruber and Gruber was a Vizsla mix. We've talked about him quite a bit on, on this show, um, because he was very fundamental in my understanding of how dogs worked. I have never lived with a dog in my life. I had one Guinea pig growing up. Her name was Hortensia. Then we found out she was a boy and my parents decided um, not to change her name, um, but instead call her Hordy. Um, Sorry, call him Hordy. So we had a guinea pig named Hordy, if you want to take that in. And uh, it was a really weird time because I was incompetent because I was seven. At taking care of a guinea pig or another living creature. And so I guess I got it into my head that I would never be able to care for another living creature ever. Um, And that would just be my legacy of killing plants and avoiding animals. Fine. Uh, Then uh, about a year, a year after I was seven. No, 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 no. Then (laughs) after uh, I grew up quite a bit, um, I didn't, I didn't ever again, like my, I grew up in a Greek family. So I don't know if you know much about being culturally Greek, but uh, uh, it's sort of widely regarded that you hate animals. Like, I don't know, not hate them, just not, um, not have them in your home. Like it's a very, it's a very Greek thing to feel like a dog or a cat or whatever would make a house really, really dirty um which makes sense and you know my grandmother used to bleach every surface of our house regularly and like in my big fat greek wedding when he puts windex on everything that was my grandmother except with bleach and her house is immaculate so when i was you know when i was growing up with my grandparents they they both grew up because they're immigrants they grew up on farms, like with animals. My grandfather had his best friend, which was a cow named Astero, which means star. And she had a, a a patch of black on her forehead that looked like a star, like in the shape of a star. And they were best friends. My grandmother had this goat that she loved very much. And she tells this story of the goat chasing her, trying to eat her um, her apron. And she climbed a tree and the goat couldn't get to it, but she loved she loved that goat a lot. And so between the two of them, like animals were such a big part of their upbringing. Um, my grandmother never told us that she'd had a dog growing up, but she did. Uh, on the other side of my family, my dad, he grew up with a dog as well. I think her name was Lady Golden Retriever. And so, you know, animals were around for all of my family's upbringing. But for me, we, we never you know, it was just never a thing. And it wasn't discussed. And I loved, I loved animals. Uh, I wanted to be as every child does a veterinarian. um, And then I sort of gave that up. Um, And then I wanted a cat for a while. But I was so deadly allergic that it was just so brutal. and, And like, I would like allergic in the way that my entire face would puff up like in a like a cartoon. And I'd sneeze and like I'd get itchy eyes. and It was just awful. So you know, that was never in the cards. I think I was allergic to my guinea pig too. Anyway. And uh, then my sister was born uh, a year. Uh, that's what I was saying. A year after Hortensia Horty, uh, which was a name from Matilda, by the way, um, Hortensia. I don't know why that was so important to me, that book. But there you go. Hortensia Horty. And a year after that, my sister was born. So I was about six or seven when we got Hortensia. It was a, She was a birthday gift. He was a birthday gift, my guinea pig. And then my sister was born a year later. So the guinea pig went off to greener pastures, um, not put down, just regifted. And uh, that guinea pig had a severe hair loss problem, um, which I now, knowing more, uh, realized was probably stress. He was also enormous. Like he, we got him, he was tiny, like guinea pig sized. And then he just grew longer and longer and more like feral looking. And anyway, Horty probably had a better life uh, post the Pappas-Kemp's household. But then my sister was born. And once my sister was born, she was the animal of our house because she was a baby. And that's hard. And, you know, our neighbor had a cat uh, named Gio, who was the neighborhood cat, really. Black cat, grew big green eyes. And he was around all the time yeah, I I always wanted, I always felt like I wanted, you know, a dog, but I eventually convinced myself that I was too busy and that my family, you know, it was just going to be hard and picking up poo was gross and whatever else. Then I met Deanna. Well, we had known each other. We've known each other since we were both 14 or 15. But anyway, we we met and we became close and fast friends and and um, we were in a band together and and she's obsessed with dogs like I love dogs she's obsessed with them and so you kind of have to like dogs to be her friend and I felt very neutral at that point in my life on most animals but then I met her dog Juno um, and I realized that there had been dogs in my life for a while I just had never understood them one of our close friends Sabrina got a dog his name is Rebel um, he was great. I, and I still, I was like, I just don't get it. Like, I was always a little frightened of them. And then I started just viewing dogs as, you know, the good boys that they were. And I think the internet had a lot, had a lot to do with that. It's a horrible thing to say, hey? Good boys that they were. But it's true. Like, I, I sort of softened to them and uh, softened enough that in the height of depression, uh, Deanna was like, let's foster. We had a couple friends who'd fostered through different places and and so we did and and we met Gruber and that was it's very funny that I the timing was that way because the day that we uh, that Gruber came into our home uh, I had gotten a phone call that morning that had told me that I was uh, I was diagnosed with uh, PCOS which is polycystic ovarian syndrome and also endometriosis which is another uterine disease Um, and that both of those rendered me practically infertile and I grew up being very like I was I was known as the mom of the group that was my whole thing and I think part of that is being like a a bigger woman I think part of that is being you know very maternal anyway and just like being very open but I, I was the mom of the group I was always told that I'd be a good mother, and you know my sister and I were seven years apart, so there was there was a bit of that relationship anyway. I was a big sister, and that was part of who I was, and it was it's still really important to me. But hearing that was big news, and it's funny that hearing that and then a very innocent creature arrives at your home uh, and is like, "Hi, I'm here. You have to take care of me." It totally it totally busted that wide open for me. And I went, oh my gosh, maybe I don't need to have kids to feel fulfilled that way, in the sense that I've I've already helped guide a teenager through a lot of things, and and a dog helps satiate that that caregiver that that caregiver in me. Like I feel like I've had a toddler. I'm although I'm sure, and I know this for a fact that having a toddler is much more difficult. Um, you're shaping a human brain. Dog brains are are a lot simpler. <laughs> but anyway. The timing of that was really strange and, and wonderful. And Gruber and I, I, I still maintain to this day that in, in a different life, he was my dog. He was really gentle and really sweet, but very deeply, deeply messed up. The vet said that he probably had had his... Hmm, before I share this, can get I'm going to tell you some graphic things about Gruber. So if, if uh, animal cruelty is a really hard one for you, I know it is for me. You can just skip ahead a little, but... He uh he'd had his head slammed in a door so he had some brain damage. He had uh, cigarette burns all over his body and his back legs had been broken multiple times and hadn't healed right. So he had a bit of a waddle. And he had some character in his whole body and his face. Yeah, and and he was he was but he was so gentle. Like I've never met a dog that had been through that much that was so loving. Uh, big heart and he went to this amazing family like I'm so I'm so I saw a photo of them in the alumni Facebook group the other day and uh, he's going on these big hikes and there's a there's you know it's this happy family with Gruber as their as their dog which is awesome so uh, we had him for a month and, and Gruber was really really like he was not thriving in the city downtown it was just not his cup of tea at all he he had this thing where he could recognize a manhole cover even if it wasn't there like like if even if it blended right in with the sidewalk and he would not step on them so half of our walks were just being pulled down the street away from manhole covers um it was very specific but that was he was very strong and he was about 40 pounds maybe even bigger and 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 really strong he gave me whiplash actually, uh, because he pulled me down the street once he saw something or was scared. He didn't really he didn't have a prey drive, he just would uh, try and run from things that were very terrifying. So um, he pulled me once and, and threw out my, my entire neck, gave me whiplash. It was really brutal. But that's when I learned sort of how to what what a dog needs. Because he was like not house trained, really a mess, peed everywhere. Our house was in disarray just not good. I remember once having someone over and then being like your house doesn't always look like this, right? I'm like that's so rude and then I look back <laughs> I look back at photos of my house that during that time and going, "Oh my god. What did you do? Like it looks like a tornado went off in here." Uh, and it did and it was it was named Gruber. So after Gruber, I I knew I needed a dog in my life and I didn't I didn't know how badly until it had been quite a few months without him. Um, I cried really hard when he left, which I think is a first foster thing too. But one of the things I wish I'd known uh, in terms of fostering is how you think it's going to be difficult to let them go, but it's actually really, really difficult to have them there. Uh, You're not getting the best parts of a dog. And the thing about Gruber was he didn't show us who he was. We had him for a month and a bit, which was enough time for him to decompress enough to show us that he was, you know, not doing well in the city. It was like one of those things where I was like, oh, it's been three weeks now and you're still terrified. I guess you're not thriving here and I don't think you'll ever get to a place to do that. We had a few trainers come in, nothing. And, and again, I think the brain damage had something to do with that. But anyway, he was, he was the best right at the end. We reached about a month in or a month and a half, almost a month and a couple weeks. And, and, uh, and the last week was just, he was like an angel and yeah, he was still, you know, not house trained and yeah, he was still pulling us down the street, but there was something so, so like perfect about this creature that had just allowed like this, this dog really did not trust anyone. Uh, and he and I bonded immediately and he would go nowhere without me. We have videos of both Deanna and I walking around our house and him trotting behind her or trotting behind me. Um, He's a real sweetheart, and and we got to see that, which was just wonderful. Uh, I remember Amy telling me right when he was leaving, and I was like, oh, I want to keep him. I want to adopt him. And she was like, you were one piece of his journey, and you taught him how to love, and that's really important. I really feel that. Uh, with him. And I think he taught me how to, how to care for a dog and how to care for someone when I was really not in a place to. And that was really beautiful and a really great way to start. He was a really good first foster, even though he was a demon. Um, Well, he wasn't a demon. He was just a hard dog. So when Gruber left, it's one of those things that your life kind of goes on hold when you foster. It's different with your own dog because, you know, you make sacrifices and you're making sacrifices to fit somebody into your life. So it's a little different. But with a, with a foster, you really are giving up your life for the period of time that you have them. Some dogs stay for a few weeks. Some dogs stay for a few months. I know someone who's been fostering um, a dog for the last eight months or something like that. It just sometimes happens that way. Like a dog won't get adopted. Um, for whatever reason, but I I put my life on hold, which meant I put all those emotions on hold. sort of put a plug in all the, the, the things that I was going through. I was speaking to uh, someone at, a, at an event recently, and there's this like very, very specific feeling being a foster where you you bring the dog and all the dog stuff to the parents of this dog, or whoever's taking on. This foster next and when you come back you are suddenly faced with your house and your house is in chaos and all the things that you didn't give a crap about because you know it's all about the dog and you're focused on the dog and you're making sure that the dog's okay like like broken table legs or chewed mattresses or anything like you don't really notice or it happens and you just sort of patch it up and move on because you're on to the next thing because you're dealing with a, a very scared animal. All, all those things are suddenly very blatant to you. And that's, I think, how I felt. Deanna and I went to shoppers after we um, gave Gruber to his new foster home. And they were a little bit farther out of the city. And that really helped him. We sort of <laughs> gave him up and looked at uh, our house at the amount, the sheer amount of pee pads everywhere. Because he would pee everywhere. And Deanna had this really expensive rug that she really liked covered in pee pads. And some of them were ripped and, you know, food was everywhere and there was water around his water bowl. And I'm going, oh my gosh, like, we've been living in squalor for a month and a half. And uh, that's just sort of how it goes. But anyway, <laughs> so we were kind of, I, you know, it felt like that, but emotionally as well. I was like, oh, I haven't actually taken care of myself in a minute because I've been too busy you know not doing that and and with gruber it was different because he couldn't go outside that much because it was really really stressful for him so for us it was like come outside have a pee and a poo walk around the block to get some exercise and then and then we'll take you out at night when it's a little bit less uh hectic so the day walks were always really short and so he spent a lot of time inside and he was a big cuddle bug too like he, he loved to just sit on my lap, even though he was so massive, sit on or beside my lap um, while I did work and I was working from home. So there's that too. Yeah, it, it it was a huge shift in, you know, I haven't actually been alone in quite a while. And Deanne and I both felt that it was like, we have always had someone around. Um, and that was good for the, the first lockdown. Then... Uh, A few months went by, we were all very busy, we didn't want to foster again, Gruber was a lot, there was nothing in that that made me want to do it again, and and our house was too small, there's two of us living in in the one bedroom that I'm living in now, (laughs) I was living in the den, and then Deanna, um, Deanna moved out, and that was hard for both of us, we really loved living together. Um, but it was also very necessary because we also hated living together. Um, but she moved, she ended up moving nine floors up. So same building, we basically still live together. And that feeling, but that feeling of, of being completely alone in my house really struck me. I She hadn't even moved yet. Uh, we were maybe three or four days in. And I was still on this rescue's roster of fosters. Roscu- roster of fosters. There, and through this rescue, there had been a dog uh, named Driftwood, I think, and another dog named Seraph. And both of them I'd applied to adopt because they were so perfect for me. Uh, Driftwood was a beagle mix. Um, and I think now is on Instagram as, oh, what's his name now? Biscuit. Uh, the, the user is our dog Biscuit. Um, and this couple adopted him, and he's fantastic as well. Very specific kind of dog, um, but everything I read about him was just lovely. And Seraph was a rat terrier, a little spotted rat terrier, also just fantastic. And and so these these two dogs, I'd I'd put my put my hat into the ring. I didn't really expect much. I wasn't ready to adopt at all. And the, the, the conversations that we kept having, Deanna and I especially, were, were like, you've only you've only met one dog. You know, you've only had one dog in your life, and that was Gruber. And not all dogs are Gruber. And I kept going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, I should have listened probably, but also am happy I didn't. And both things can be true. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of the things she said that I didn't understand then that I do understand now are about sacrifice you know, um, a lot of the discussion with Otis was, okay, so what are you going to do when things open up again? Who's going to look after Otis? What are you going to do? You know, this is the financial situation. Are you sure you're ready to do this? Can you even take care of yourself? The answer was, I don't know. I don't know. And definitely not. But then I met Otis. And I, I mean, I think I've already told the story of me and him in the car on our way home. But when i when i got his picture uh he looked like a demon i thought he was super ugly and i did not want to meet him the photo they sent me is uh, was of him just like barking so loud in the photo i don't know how you can tell a dog is barking but you can and just like attacking <laughs> attacking the cage at the shelter i was like uh oh um but i had asked for a small dog uh who was low energy ha huh. And I'd never envisioned myself in any particular, like with any particular dog, other than a Boston Terrier, and that was what I kind of, I was, I was looking at breeders, which I, it's one of those things where I, I understand why people go to breeders, and I, and I, and if they're ethical, I think that is definitely on the table. But I think rescue, like, there's something so uh, special about getting a rescue dog and, and the first thing I said on all of my adoption applications on all of you know everything I've ever said is give me a dog with a little bit of a personality and and I'll be set and I wanted a dog that was low energy with a personality and I got Otis and uh and it was right it, like it was just like a miracle kind of happened and I think I was open to it I was ready but then I met him and I was like oh oh it's you it's my dog Like Alana says, I quote her on that all the time. Oh, it's you. And that's, that was that, you know, it's a very visceral feeling. And I've been, you know, I've been asking everybody this question when, you know, everyone says, when you know, you know, but what they don't tell you is, you know, and then you immediately are like, no, (laughs) like, like I, I got them. I put in the adoption application. There were people interested from day one. A bunch of people had been uh, approved to adopt, generally. Um, and they had seen photos of Otis on on uh, on what is now the Tiny Gremlin Instagram account. And had been like, oh, is he available to adopt? I'd love to adopt him. You know, what's he like? His separation anxiety was off the charts. But also, I don't think I helped because... And I, I continue not to. And that's a whole other thing that I'll... I'll probably is for another episode. But with Otis... I just, I I fell in love with him and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, everyone was like, do not adopt this dog. You can't afford it. And I was like, no, I I have to. I'm going to and I have to and I'll figure it out. And uh, I did. And then immediately, it was literally like I signed the adoption papers and I cried for maybe two hours afterwards, like inconsolable. It was just this huge relief Maybe it was because of what I had been through. Maybe it was, I don't, I don't know, but there's something so, and I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but there's something so wonderful about having someone in your life who just loves you. And there's no caveat. There's no uh, like addendum. There's no, there's nothing. It's just love. It's completely unconditional. Um, I mean, maybe the condition of like, please feed your dog and, and, but even still like they they just love and when that when I understood that and when I I had him in my house that first night he the rescue had given me a a crate that was broken it was tied together with elastics which just goes to show you how um underfunded (laughs) dog rescues are and how little supplies they have so donate but um he had a he had a crate Tied together with elastics. And he hated being in there. He would throw himself up against the crate. He really wanted to be near me. But I would put him in it because I was dedicated to crate training. And, uh, and the night after I adopted him, it was very quiet. And that was very unusual because he would usually throw himself against the crate until he vomited. And that night, it was very quiet. And I woke up and I'd realized that he had escaped, like Houdini, from the crate. But had nestled in next to me on the bed... Um, and I'd fallen asleep there and I kind of went, oh, this is, uh, this is it now. This is, uh, this is my life. And he hasn't left since. Clearly he's sitting right next to me as I record this on my bed right now and he's asleep. And yeah, some things were sacrificed. Like I, I can't go out drinking every night. Not that I really did before, but I can't, I just like, I have to get home and I have to feed the dog. I have to take the dog for a walk it's changed the way I view relationships with people and with partners. It's a piece of my life now, having a dog. I I am a dog person now. I am a person with a dog. Although I I guess I am more than just a person with a dog because I am also a host of a dog podcast. So I think I took it a step further. But, you know, you really feel inadequate for the first little while. Um, They don't tell you that, you know, when you have a child, there's a lot of hormones going on. And postpartum depression is very chemical and very real. But the feelings of inadequacy that come with having a new child, I never understood before in the same way. Like I understood that it was difficult, but I didn't understand it in my guts. And then within the first like two weeks, I guess what I'm trying to say is if having a dog and feeling like you're fucking up all the time if that is a fraction of what having a human child is like, then I, I have so much, like I'm in awe of new parents. I'm in awe of them because this feeling, that feeling of, of just, I'm going to fuck this up. This dog's going to be fucked up forever was so real, so visceral that fades, you know, you get lazy, you get um, comfortable and so does the dog, you get into patterns, but it's worth it. And it's hard to start, but it, it does get easier and better and, and beautiful and terrible, and you lose so many important things to you, and, and I mean that by objects. I, I no longer have a sentimental I no longer hold sentimental value to objects because they will be destroyed. Not by Otis, but I learned that the second time I fostered a puppy, St. Bernard puppy. Everything was destroyed. Yeah. Otis um, was special, is special uh, to me. And to see the way that I adapted to this new part of me that I'd never understood or fully recognized was really huge um, and really helpful. So I guess all this to say, getting a dog is not easy. It is not an easy choice, but you can really trust your gut on a lot of things. And this is one of the biggest things. It, it, it immeasurably changed my life. There's so much more I want to say. I'll have to do another episode like this because I I have so many things to say about training about feeling just lost in a sea of of both guided and misguided information from all sides. I have to talk about the the vet clinic that I brought him to that later turned out to be a horrible mistake and but, for now that's the that's the real or, origin story of of me and otis and and um yeah i uh i'll see you in two weeks Tidy Tidy.